guys. My name is Ethan. If you don't know me, if you're here visiting, welcome. welcome. Thank you for being here. You know, I think uh, the first thing we got to talk about, we got to say is, you know, we're going through a time of transition in our congregation with our leaders having resigned. And uh, so if you're visiting this morning and you're coming in, you're like, okay, people seem all over the place. We are. We're people. We are whole people. And uh, don't let that turn you off. We're real. We're vulnerable. We're striving to be vulnerable. We're striving to create that space for one another right now. And so we pray that God, you can see God in this time through us, through our suffering. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I've been all over the place too. A lot of you guys saw me last Sunday. Pretty numb. And uh, I want to apologize. I wanted to have been more present with you all through that time. It's challenging. We respond in different ways. We fight. We run. We freeze. We turn into zombies. That's, that's me. So I'm asking for your forgiveness for not being present and with some of you guys in that. And thank you to those who are with me, teens. Thank you for your love, for seeing me, and being patient with me. Amen. All right, I'm going to start crying. We have some people here. Um, I got to give a shout out to our Alabama friends, or Alabama Mississippi friends. We have Mason. <laughs> Mason's here. Jelani's here. And Cecilia is here. Hello. I haven't actually got to meet you yet. Um, I believe this is their last week interning in Wichita. Is that right? Oh, is Eric back there too? I didn't see you. What's up, Eric? Good to see you, man. Um, is this your guys' last week in Wichita? So they're going back to school, uh, Tuskegee. Um, well, yeah. I mean, they took their summer interning here. And what does that take for a person, a young person, to go to a strange place and choose to be committed to, to a strange group of people. We're strange. <laughs> and being here with us, even last Sunday, I'm like, y'all, we're going through some stuff. They heard that stuff. They're here with us. Thank you guys for coming into our community and being a blessing to us. I hope that we were a blessing to you as well. Amen. Amen. We have uh, other folks here. The Sylvies are here. I don't know whether like like to introduce you because you guys are just like you're, you're Wichita people. But we still got to give honor to that. Uh, Mike and Don are here. I don't know where they're sitting from Lawrence. There they are. And, uh, and then we have uh, Ken and Esther Long. And where did they go? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Maybe I should be up here so I can just see. And I'm sorry if I missed anyone else, but thank you guys for being here with us. Amen? Amen. Um, let's get into this, okay? I don't know if we have the title slide up. We've been going through a series called Treasuring God. How timely is this? First off, we didn't plan this. This is part of a collaboration group. Second off, God knew that we would need to focus on treasuring him this summer. This is not our plan. He is here. He is speaking. Let us listen. Amen. Amen. We've talked about treasuring creation, treasuring the church. Kelsey and her dad, Ken, last week talked about treasuring vulnerability. And I hope that message is still on our hearts. Today we're talking about treasuring devotion, wouldn't you know? Devotion. We're going to be sitting on Psalm 1 uh, mainly today. As, our, uh, as we continue our series on treasuring God, it's important 
for us to take frequent pauses and ask some key questions. I hope a question you've asked, the first question you asked is, why should we treasure God? And I don't think we've actually talked about that here, but I'm, gonna, I'm putting that out. Interactive time. Here we go. All right. Why should we treasure God? Why does that matter? He's a Lord of all creation. Josh knows a little something about that. He's our father. Yes. Now we're, now we're cooking. Yeah, he's everything. All right. Yeah, because what he's done for us draws near to him. Yeah. I love our team so much. He doesn't step away from us. Chris. Let's keep going. This is great. Yeah, Mark. So wait. We didn't, Mark and I didn't talk prior to the sermon, just so you know. And Jason, we'll, you'll be the last guy. Thank you. Thank you. We'll stop there for now. We could go all morning. We could just pray and be done right now. That was great. <clears throat> no, Mary. <laughs> there are many reasons why we ought to treasure God. I believe an underlying answer would be that we are made to be connected to the divine in worship. That is, we find our true selves when we treasure God. Therefore, our exploration of treasuring God has less to do with following some sort of moral code that some people can derive from Scripture. Rather, it's about getting in tune with who God has made us to be. Amen? So today's topic is about treasuring devotion. And uh, treasuring devotion, devotion, that's a pretty churchy word, wouldn't you say? Yeah? We, we talk about being devoted, having devotionals. We disciple each other on, their, on our devotion, right? Such a, it's a very kind of exclusive word in some ways to Christianity, devotion. But what or who does the Bible say we're to be devoted to? We must give pause and allow ourselves to consider such questions. Or we face the danger of drifting away. Now is the time for us to listen and contemplate what devotion to God truly means. It is precisely when we feel abandoned, confused, neglected, angry, anxious, depressed, slighted, sorrowful, abused, or disoriented that we must strive to be devoted to God. This, mean, this doesn't mean we don't allow ourselves to feel, to mourn, to grieve. But our emotion is not the destination. And that is exactly what the Psalms do. They meet us in our emotion. And they navigate us towards devotion to God. Psalm 1, you can open there, but I will read it for you. Psalm 1 reads... Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. 
It's not so with the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked, they won't stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 1 has been called a Torah psalm because it centers itself on the relationship between a person and God's teaching. We see devotion language at work. That is language focusing focuses on a person who devotes themselves to God's wisdom and another who devotes themselves to human wisdom. Do you see that in there in Psalm 1? It offers two paths to us at any given point in time for humans. One, the path of human wisdom, focusing on self-interests and perceptions and anticipating negative outcomes. Or two, the path of God's wisdom, oriented well in the community with a giving disposition and trusting through the cycles of the seasons. So today, and all summer, we follow the psalmist's lead learning to take these words and apply them to our lives and contexts. Mary Oliphant and I have partnered together today, and she's going to share her own experiences with this psalm and how devotion has formed her into the godly example for all of us today. Mary has lived a life of devotion to God. Despite her own family of origin, despite her life circumstances, despite cultural expectations, so please open your hearts, your ears, and your Bibles as Mary shares with us this morning. Good morning, Good morning. to everyone here and everyone online. It helps me to look at the definition of words so I can be clear of their meaning. Devotion. Devotion means a strong attachment loyalty or enthusiasm for a person activity or cause that describes us a strong attachment treasuring means keep carefully a valued item so devotion is what we want but we want to treasure that devotion it's important to us we want to be careful with it value it when I look at Psalms 1-1 in the NIV, the first word is blessed. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. Blessed means a favor or gift bestowed by God that can bring happiness. When we are a blessed, we are receiving favor, a gift from God. And it helps us to be happy, to have joy. So then when we treasure devotion, the effect is we love, we are loyal, and we have enthusiasm. Psalm says when we take delight and meditate on God's commands, we are obedient. In return, we are blessed. Most of my early years, I did not know what devotion really meant. I was raised to believe in God, attend church every Sunday, holy days, and know the Ten Commandments. I knew little about declaring Jesus as my Lord or being a disciple of his teachings. The fellowship of my upbringing was, lifted, was limited to a nod or a wave with the folks who sat around us in church. 
If someone wanted to talk with my family about our sin or our character, they were told to mind your own business. When I got baptized September 31st, 1998, my journey began of peeling back layers of my sinful nature and understanding the Christ-like lifestyle that I committed to when I proclaimed Jesus as Lord. In my first few years as a disciple, I was on and off. I would show up to church for a while, to events, and then all of a sudden I wouldn't show up. And then I'd show back up for a while, and then I'd stop coming. During that time, I was experiencing a lot of persecution at home by my husband and my parents. But God was at work at my heart. One day I heard God's message. He said, stop. Stop this. I need you to be devoted to me, to my church, to the fellowship. That was the first of many times where God spoke to me or used scripture or another person to show me areas in my life that needed to change, as well as being taught what it means to be devoted, to take delight and meditate on God's law. During my 23 years to date today, here are some of the lessons that God put on my heart I had to go after, I had to work through. To learn the difference between an infant and a mature disciple. I remember sitting over here hearing the gentleman, whoever it was, one of our great brothers preaching. And he was talking about the difference of an infant and a mature disciple. And it just struck me like God just went, and I went, huh, which one am I? And so I went home and I studied and I read all the scriptures I could find surrounding that. And I was like, I'm an infant. I am an infant. But it revealed to me, and it was a start of changing that, trying to go after that. Other things, to be teachable, trainable, and humble. You know, really, it's a decision. It really is. It's a decision. And I have to choose often to be teachable, trainable, to be humble. Another, to quickly grant forgiveness, mercy, and grace. To acknowledge my brokenness and invite Jesus in to heal me. After my divorce, when I became single, it became apparent to me how broken I was. I had worked through forgiveness of things in my past within my marriage, but I didn't realize the hurt that just lingered, the open wound, the scars And it had me stuck. I remember taking months and just reading over and over the miracles Jesus performed. I put myself in that story. I invited Jesus in. I asked him, please heal me emotionally. And I visualized that. Another, to be slow to anger, quick to listen, and slow to speak. That my anger is unrighteous. No good comes from it. In my past, I didn't get angry often, but when I did, it was an explosion. I could destroy a person with my words. And after the last time I did that to a person, I vowed, oh my gosh, never again. I have got to go after this. And I dug into the scripture and read everything God had to say about human anger. Godly anger is different than human anger. 
Our anger is not righteous, and no good comes from it. To recognize my thoughts and actions caused by my criticism and judgment. I grew up in a home, critical, judgmental, saying things about people, casting judgment. And I didn't realize how that had just imprinted on my DNA. I would think things and not even be conscious of what I was thinking. And then I would say something or act in a way that was like, where did that come from? It's because I was judging. I was being critical. And read the scriptures. Jesus is very clear about when we judge. To recommit, to be surrendered and submissive, to put aside my desire to control and be independent. I come from a line, generations of women. Myself, my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother. We are stubborn, hard-headed. We want independence and we want control. And it's not so much for me the control of others as control of myself, my life. I want to do it my way. And I've had to go after that. And I still today have to remind myself often, God, I pray, help me be surrendered, be submissive to you. To know that God is trustworthy, perfect, and does not parallel any human relationship or trait. When I went through spiritual discovery, I had such an aha my mom, growing up, when she got mad, she could fume for a couple days. And I learned to stay out of her way. I withdrew. I became invisible. During spiritual re- re- discovery, I realized I was doing that with God. Not that he was mad at me, but when I felt guilt or shame for my own sin, my shortcomings, I disappeared on God. I pulled back. I retreated. My prayers were pretty surfacy. It was even hard to get in the word. I felt shameful to even go into the word. I had to learn that my relationship with God does not parallel my relationships with humans. Human relationships run vertical of ourselves, but God, excuse me, horizontal. But God runs vertical. And I found the most awesome Bible study on version. If you want to know about it, ask me later called trust and it took me through seven days of all the parts of God and why God is trustworthy and perfect in every way and then the continuous lesson of how to live with my good confession that Jesus is Lord and after all this and many more lessons and I'm still learning today every day I still fight the spiritual fight against Satan against the attraction of the world against my own sinful nature, my weaknesses, my faults, it still all gets in the way. The journey to be more Christ-like never ends. However, I know I am different today than I was 23 years ago. Back then, I was on the road, I was on the broad road, and it was leading to destruction. Today, I have God's word written on my heart, So that during the dark or sinful times that I can go through, it's like a compass that can bring me back and realign me to God. Matthew 7, 13, 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, 
and only a few find it. I want to find it. I want to take that small gate and stay on the narrow road that leads to life. Because I want life. I want to stand at the foot of the Lord's throne and see him with my own eyes. I want my invisible God to be visible. So let me close by asking, why is it important for us to treasure devotion to God, to his kingdom, and to each other? I believe Jesus answers that in John 8:31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Our good confession, Jesus is Lord, leads to treasuring devotion. It leads us to know the truth, and the truth sets us free. To God be the glory. If you got ears, I hope you heard some of this, especially in relation to the psalm. The psalm talks about meditating on God's, God's law, his teaching, day and night. What Mary just talked about was what that does to you, but what it takes. Letting God's word sink in doesn't happen on, by accident. You know what meditation is? I, I think some of us get this idea of meditation as you've got to empty your mind, which I don't know if it's possible for humans to do. But biblical meditation is you repeat God's words over and over and over and over and over and over. And you're kneading them into your heart so that when times come, when you're facing temptation and struggles and those things from our past rear up, those things are so deeply ingrained that you just hear God speaking. That's devotion. Those things are so interwoven. Devotion to God's teaching and devotion to him. You know, where Mary ended is precisely where we need to be right now, fighting for devotion. In our restoration movement, we have a long history of uh, one of our favorite words, unity. That's what the movement was founded on, this idea of unity, and it's a great thing. But unity based on what? Devotion to God. Amen? Amen. Well, maybe commonplace in some religious circles during times of difficulty also is to set aside what you feel and just push on, move, move on. Uh, just trust in God's plan, these very nice things we hear. But what if the path to God's plan is through our emotion, not around it? Come back with me to Psalms, Psalm 9 and 10. And I, I, I'm just going to read a couple verses from them. There's a pair of Psalms here. And there's an argument to be made that these psalms shouldn't even be separate, but they're really one. They sound a lot different, so they've been separated, but some say they should be one psalm. <clears throat> but Psalm 9 and 10 display this, this kind of duality to devotion through emotion. So I'm just going to read the first verse from each psalm. I really implore you guys to read through these both together, okay, on your own. But Psalm 9, verse 1, it says, I will give thanks to you, Yahweh, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. And I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. Sounds pretty great, right? Now listen to Psalm 10, verse 1. 
Why? Yahweh, why do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in, in times of trouble? Which psalm sounds like devotion? We probably want to say Psalm 9, the first one, yeah? But that's wrong. Both are. Both and. Both and. We want to be in the heart of Psalm 9. Psalm 9 is a beautiful psalm about trusting in the reign and power of God and thanking Him. It's a praise. It's a thanksgiving psalm. And then you go to Psalm 10 and you're like, this person's in a bad place. Yeah, they are. That's the point. Being devoted to God in your bad place. He wants, he's there with you. He wants to be there with you. Where we find ourselves retreating in these times. We find ourselves in the heart of Psalm 10. So what do you do? Some of us, some of us this morning are fighting just to be devoted. And that's okay. You need to hear that as okay. But let the language of the Psalms guide you today. You are called to be devoted to God and God alone. It is through our devotion to God that we find ourselves able to devote our, our lives to Christian community. But sometimes the church, we get that backwards. By devoting ourselves to God and his word, his path, his wisdom, only then are we positioned to devote ourselves to one another. Let's recall the last passage that Mary read from John 8, starting in verse 31. It says, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's a reason that this passage sounds a lot like Psalm 1. Did you catch that? Jesus was absolutely devoted to God's word. In fact, John 1 teaches that Jesus was the very embodiment of God's word. Try to wrap your mind around that. Jesus clearly gave much time to meditating and absorbing God's word into his whole being. And guess which book of the Hebrew Bible is most quoted by Jesus? The book of Psalms. Is there something there for us? Jesus devoted his entire life to God to holding to God's teaching. Jesus lived a life and was completely free, right? He lived a life completely free, despite what happened to him. Elsewhere in John, in chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those who have ears, let them hear. Amen? Amen. We are going to take communion together now. I hope these words are on your heart and minds. Feel free to feel free to share with a neighbor. I think we're also going to have a beautiful song to listen to as well. Let's pray as we take communion. Amen. 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 God Almighty, you've made us to live in tandem with you, to live freely and peacefully, guided by your teachings. Yet we find ourselves drawn onto the paths of humanity, disoriented, downtrodden. We find ourselves always in search and always in anguish. And you meet us right there. In the middle 
of the chaos. You are devoted to us. You even give us the words to speak. You guide us through our turmoil and set our feet on solid ground. Then we find ourselves in full devotion to you, experiencing the flourishing life you have desired for us to have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.